number 538 has been asked that we mark that. It's so good to see each and everyone assembled and gathered here today on this Sunday morning. What a blessedness and what an opportunity of rich privilege for us to not only offer our praises and our adoration to God, but that we can encourage and exhort each other. It is the case that today, as you well know, Father's Day, that particular day set aside in the year, the third Sunday in June each year, and that, of course, is the day that we have arrived at at this very present moment in time. The lesson today is entitled, Honor Thy Father. And you may have noticed from the reading a few moments ago, drawn as Joe read for us from Ephesians 6, you might want to be turning that passage. And we will, in fact, devote a little interest and time to the features found in that beautiful New Testament passage. By way of introduction... These opening thoughts are merely those to direct our attention to some matters about fatherhood. The richness of fatherhood is so often highlighted in the Word of God, and it has done so in ways that leave a lasting impression for good upon your life and mine. You'll note about the middle of that slide, since father is a very clearly understood part of God's plan, maybe it isn't that surprising that the Bible frequently uses the word Father. But you might be a bit surprised as to how often it occurs. 1,718 times in the King James translation of the Bible. 1,718 occurrences of that word or some form of it. Now to be sure, some of those make reference to God as our Father. No doubt about that. But at least a reasonable number of them refer to the case that you and I could understand helping us note fatherhood. Today, let's devote some attention to the role of fathers, to the appreciation the Bible casts upon that subject. And I hope that as we continue in that study, we might be led to greater appreciation for that aspect of the Word of God. This next slide will be one that just highlights, by way of recollection, the place a father in the biblical presentation. Might we always be reminded that God always does what's right, and He always does what's best. That means there is no circumstance wherein men could argue, I could have done it better. I could have done it more carefully and efficiently. In Genesis eighteen twenty five, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is always God's going to do what's right. But I might call to your attention that wonderful description of our Father God in heaven in Deuteronomy 32, 4, wherein there it is said, He is our rock, and He is the one who acts in perfection. No mistakes. Doesn't need, in essence, any second attempts. He does it right. And yet, in light of the family, notice it was his plan for there to be father. Back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we recall that after the five days of creation that had preceded it, we notice that even on day 6, God fashioned large numbers of the animal kingdom. But yet, even after completing that, he still made this observation in verse 26, "...let us make man in our image." There was something very different about man compared to any animal. Isn't it true then that as God fashioned Adam, 
Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. It is then to be noted, he made in the image of God, and that was going to be true of Eve as well. And yet, Adam was made first. Now, that particular observation will play a rather fundamental role in the Bible. Not only is it a part of the narrative of the opening chapters in Genesis, but later Paul highlights that truth in 1 Timothy 2.13, pointing out that due to the fact the man was made first, that is one component understanding of even the role of women in the church today. Isn't it rather fascinating? In light of the way that God had fashioned that, might we pause to note this? Even Jesus affirmed He made male and female. There were roles, acts, things that man was supposed to do, that Adam was supposed to do as the father. Eve could not do it. Now, although she had roles and works and matters that she was to accomplish, those were different than what was expected of Adam. The difference is in those understandings. Perhaps brings you to the midst of that slide. Adam was placed as the head of that family. Now, that was affirmed so strongly after the sin, of course, in Eden, whereas there it was said that He will rule over you, as in fact God told Eve on that occasion. But isn't it interesting that in the correspondence of the development of time, we have come today in which, in many instances, fatherhood is looked upon very unusually. I might even say that there have been some who've asserted fathers are expendable. Isn't it true that there are now methods and ways that women can become pregnant without the immediate services, let's say? Sperm can be donated in some other way, and the man has almost become, in the mind of some, an expediency. That was never God's plan. It was always His will that the father, of course, be a vibrant part of that family, a leader in that family and one that would highlight in many ways the ongoing nature of the fatherhood even of God. No wonder at the bottom of that slide, why don't we devote at least a little time today to rehearsing in our mind the significance of the Father, the importance of the Father, and in so doing, we'll direct honor to Him as well. The place of the Father, as we've just discussed it so far, brings us to the impact of the Father. We each, as we reflect upon our fathers, and perhaps think about the witness we have seen of fathers in other families, even besides those of our own. Doesn't it lead us to be thankful for godly fathers, for the work that has been done by them and the influence that they continue to exert? You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, I'm sorry, the top of that slide, I make an initial observation. It doesn't take really any courage or any conviction to be a biological father. All it does is take the pursuit of the passion of the flesh. But it does take a lot of courage and a lot of conviction and a lot of affirmation to be the kind of father God would want a man to be. And so if we've been blessed with such a father, if we have been able to reflect upon the influence of a man like that, how thankful we've been and how blessed we've been. No wonder in that connection, 
Isn't it fascinating to reflect on so many Bible characters were fathers? Noah. We well recall that though the world was given to iniquity in his day, so much so that Genesis 6 verse 5 details the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. And yet in the midst of that ungodliness, here was a man named Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6 verse 8. And not only that, he had three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they too were led of the pathways of rightness. What a man of influence Noah must have been. Not only the boys, but their wives. Only those eight, including Noah's wife, of course, were aboard that ark and preserved from the onslaught of the waters of the flood of that day. Not only Noah, but what about Abraham? You and I have often noted that this man is so highly regarded as the patriarch of faith. And yet, in light of him, we well remember that he had a number of children. There was Isaac, of course, the son of promise, but there was also Ishmael. And there were even a number of others mentioned in Genesis 25. But suffice it to say, Abraham was a father. Besides them, what about Isaac? That son of Abraham, he too was one of the patriarchs. And Genesis 26 will remind us that he too carried the legacy of faithfulness. One could mention Jacob. He, of course, was a father of 12 boys and one girl, a sizable family. But all the while, the children of Israel were, of course, the very ones connected to those sons of Jacob. We could go on and on with various remembrances and listings in the Word of God concerning fathers and examples of them. Moses was a father. Perhaps we don't often think about his sons, but there was Gershom on the one hand and Eliezer on the other, mentioned for us in Exodus 18. All of that tells us that these mighty men of the Word of God, among the other attributes of their walk in faith, they were fathers. David was a father. In fact, that will occupy a significant role in some of the developments of both First and Second Samuel. And yet the fatherhood of David sometimes caused some issues or troubles, but it doesn't change the fact that he was a father. Perhaps lastly, what about Zechariah? I do not mean the Old Testament minor prophet Zechariah. I mean the father of John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, isn't it true that this gentleman is listed along with Elizabeth his wife as those who directed the work and the life and the appreciation of none other than the forerunner of the Son of God. Zechariah is rather highly commended. It is asserted in Luke 1 verse 5 that he walked in all the commandments of the Lord blameless. Might I suggest... It might not be that surprising John the Baptist turned out the way he did with a father described like that. That's a rather high bar for all of us to attempt to follow today, isn't it? To mention all those listings, you could no doubt add many other Bible characters. But as far as the impact of a father, let's quickly note just a few. One of the things that a father, a godly father will do, he will love his wife. And as the children appreciate that aspect and that means of his life, they will come to understand what great obligation and what great benefit that is. 
Ephesians 5.25 continues to say, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That degree of love will again often stand out rather notably. Because isn't it true that we frequently see in our world a lessened appreciation of that aspect, at least, of fatherhood? But yet the Word of God teaches it. That father will provide leadership for the family. That element in leadership is, of course, mentioned in a number of passages, both Old and New Testament. In Genesis 18, 19, Abraham, that gentleman we mentioned a moment ago, it is there said he will command his children after him. He would exert an influence upon them that would last long after he died. Today, can we not appreciate that same element in truth? How many of us have been motivated by those who have left a legacy of faithfulness in our history, in our family? Maybe a grandfather or a great-grandfather who was given in life and times often very different from that, but nonetheless determined to be a man of faith. I'm sure we can each list examples in our own family histories wherein something along that line happened. I would mention in the third place the degree of instruction. If we pause at this point to say many times that instruction is given by way of example, the ongoing daily dedication... To that which is right. Now, some men are men of few words, that's understandable, but by an example of givenness to truth, an ongoing walk of commitment in life, children observe this. They're well aware of it, and they, in fact, will often reflect upon it. So, gentlemen, may we as fathers, those of us that are, be those who understand their little eyes watching us. And there are others who are paying close attention to what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. And sometimes that latter category is noteworthy, isn't it? A number of verses, such as Proverbs 1, verse 8, highlights the sweetness of our position, namely the law of thy father. The instruction of a father is there enlisted. And that's only one verse among a number of others. Proverbs 6, verse 20 makes mention of the same. The last two elements in that listing in Proverbs 13, 1 and Proverbs 15, 5, those set very high the sweet and lovely bar of the instruction and the law consistent with a father's teaching. So gentlemen, as we teach, what lessons are we teaching? What kinds of messages are we sending? As we mentioned earlier, there are many who are watching. One last thing I suppose on that slide will be sometimes that element in teaching will make demands concerning discipline. It was always seem, I think, that each of us might read with care that text in Proverbs 3 verse 12. There, note this, God is said to be a disciplining father. And in the very same verse, it makes comparison to earthly fathers and how that we ought to be behavior just like that. So may we not feel ashamed when correction of a child is needed? May we not feel as if that's inappropriate? Though our world would often say, you cannot do this. We've all seen instances already where the ACLU has sued men 
who have disciplined his children. Now, they didn't do anything inappropriate, but the ACLU, under the banner of what our world would now say, claims it's inappropriate. You and I need to lift up the hands of those men who are doing it God's way. One last thing, I suppose. The way that Proverbs 17, 6 words it. One of the things a father will do, he glories at his children. A father's excited about his children. Have you ever talked with a father and let that father tell you about the son or daughter and their sports activities or their school successes or the other events in which they're involved? And often his face will just glow. He delights in those children. He's happy for them. He's excited about them. He's thankful for them. They're a blessing to his life, just as hopefully he is to theirs. And Proverbs 17, 6 makes that kind of statement. All of us who are fathers, we know what that aspect in glory is. There's nothing like your children. But isn't it also grand to notice the impact you can have on them? That slide closes with this observation. If the Word of God makes these descriptions, and we've noted that it does, and we've also highlighted God makes no mistakes, then this is the best way it could have been done. And this is the will of heaven that it be done this way. And so a man can't abdicate these responsibilities and give them to another. The father can't dispose of them and hope that someone else will do them. He thrills in doing them. And he with courage strives to do his best in that way. The impact of a father. Doesn't it prepare us for the next slide as well? Which casts a spotlight on a further development of one of those statements we made earlier. It is the Word of God that, of course, shares with us this element in truth. There are many things that a man may do in the course of his life. He may be a great mechanic. He may be a talented carpenter. He may be a skilled plumber. And I suspect in some way he can do a little bit of any of them. But there's nothing any greater than the role that he occupies as the one who will at least present an emphasis on things spiritual. Because that will leave the understanding that there is something more important than this life. Something more important than what the material matters of this life will offer. He certainly is dutiful as a good steward in all those ways, but he understands that there is a spiritual emphasis that occupies the highest place and priority. This slide just is an attempt to at least make one aspect of that perhaps a little plainer than we might otherwise have considered it. The spiritual leadership of the man. I've asked you to note a quote that's found about the middle of that slide. I placed it in quotation marks because it's a direct quote from an article published in 1994. There was a study made in the the country of Switzerland, and the following statement from the author of that study reads as follows. It is the religious practice of the father, of the family, that, above all, determines the future attendance at or absence from church of the children. Now, I would by no means lessen the impact of the mother, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I would at least offer this thought. The Word of God in Ephesians 6, 4, 
seems to present an element of harmony with the result of that study. What dad does when it comes to the significance of the services will have a gigantic impact on what the kids will one day appreciate about either the importance thereof or the optional character thereof. Dads, we have to take it seriously. For those considerations, let's look back to First Chronicles 28 just a moment. There we find that David was approaching the end of his days in the flesh. So he wasn't far from death. And yet, he had some lasting words for his son Solomon. Would you listen as I read some of those words? First Chronicles, the 28th chapter. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. The aged man David, no doubt very well aware of the mistakes he had made in life and very well aware of the things he might have chosen to do differently, but nonetheless, in reflection upon what now stood before his son Solomon, he said this, Know thou the God of thy father. Don't ever forget God. Take Him seriously. Take His message and His word seriously. And in fact, live close to Him. He goes on to say, Serve Him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Don't serve just because you think you have to. Do it because you want to and because you love Him. Finally, He says, God searches all the hearts. He'll know the nature of your service. And then he said this, if you will serve him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off. A man who lives a life exemplary of the truths of a passage like that one will leave some lasting impressions upon the hearts and minds of his children as they see a man who does understand that though he has his failures and his lapses in judgment, a man who is convicted of what's true and convicted of God and convicted that if he walks in the way of the Lord, that God will be found of him. And he never wishes in hypocrisy to claim one thing and live differently. David even knew God will cast you off. If we've been blessed with a dad like that, what a blessing that has been. And as you and I as fathers, what a blessing we can be to our children in living along that same line. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, that thus indicates, did you notice some of the things David did not remind Solomon of? Let's face it, as the future king, Solomon was going to have access to wealth untold, prestige and power. He would have access to all the advantages that come with position. David mentioned none of that, none of it. Even today, if you've ever spoken to a gentleman as he's approaching his death, he will talk about a lot of things besides money. He'll talk about a lot of things besides the physical, material aspects of life. He'll talk about his children. He'll talk about the major priorities in life, and he'll talk about the grand services that he would perhaps wish he could have rendered. 
sounds a lot like some of the things perhaps resting on David's heart. Today as fathers, may we live in such a way we can earnestly give this kind of advice as we approach the end of our days. The last matter on that slide highlights the priorities then that you and I set. Maybe all of that prepares us for the closing part of the lesson. And it was that which was a part of the title. We've talked about the impact of a father and the place of the father and some of the emphasis that a father provides, and we're certainly blessed by all of that. But what should be our reaction to it? The Word of God puts it like this, Honor thy father and thy mother. That word honor means to offer great respect to. It means to devote attention in such a way that one has respect toward that which is the object. To honor our fathers. The Word of God, of course, mentions that a number of places, both Old and New Testament. Among the ancient Hebrews, this was so sufficient and so important that it occupied a place in the Ten Commandments. I'm sure we've all reflected upon that interesting truth. In that same set of commandments that goes like, don't kill, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, is this, honor your daddy, honor your mama. And so God ranked on an equality with those other behaviors, the respect and honor one would direct toward his parents. Fathers, may we appreciate them, honor them as those who have occupied such a prominent role of influence for us. Rather than reflecting on that Old Testament passage, let's just read again the New Testament one. In that closing chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, as you make preparation to listen as I read that, could I remind you, Paul's comments were directed to the church at Ephesus. This was a congregation of the Lord's people. And to them it was said, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So the first thing he did after talking earlier about the nature of, of husbands and wives, he now says, Children, you have an obligation. You have a responsibility. Honor your parents. I would suggest that you at least ponder this with me you would expect that many of those who would have been in the audience hearing this read at the congregation in Ephesus were the adults. Mostly, a young boy or girl is not going to appreciate much when it comes to this, but yet, notice it says, Children, obey your parents. Isn't it true? By and large, that lesson was for the adults. You make sure to teach your children proper respect for authority so that they honor Daddy and they honor their mother. Verse 2 then says, Honor thy father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. The first commandment with promise. As that son or daughter learns to appreciate honoring parents, that will be a critical element in the future course of that person's life. How they react to any source and authority, how they react to any element of displeasure or otherwise, that will leave an imprint that, in fact, will be lasting throughout life. Verse 3 then says that it may be well with thee. If we want things to go well for our children, we need to make sure that they understand the need to honor parents. 
And as they grow, they, of course, will appreciate the blessings that have come with it, that it may go well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. As a general rule, those who have been schooled and instructed and instilled with that kind of mentality will enjoy a life that will be lengthy. Now, that's not to say there can't be accidents or there can't be other things along that line, but as a general rule, that's borrowed directly from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20. As we close our lesson today, honor thy father. Today is that day on the calendar at least when Father's Day is at least highlighted, but we know from the Word of God we would honor our fathers every day understanding what they've meant to us, what they've done for us, and what we in turn can do in honor for them. The final matter in the lesson, let's summarize some of that which we've noted. The place of fathers has been set before us. The impact of fathers mentioned. The emphasis that they present in spirituality discussed. And our response to honor them. May we in love strive to do that today and every day, understanding that, of course, as the generation before us, they will pass from the scenes of this earth. But, oh, what we've learned from them and what we thrill to appreciate the impact they had. May you and I as fathers strive to be a godly father. Ladies, as we discussed you back on Mother's Day, you too enjoyed much from the Word of God along that occasion then. Today, for fathers, could we at least ask of all of us, both men and women, are you a faithful Christian? There is no better example, no better life than the life of a Christian. To be that, of course, you obey the commandments of the gospel. Believe in Jesus. That's commanded in John 8, 24. Except you believe that I am He, Jesus said, you'll die in your sins. But repentance is commanded in Luke 13, 5. Nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Upon those two matters, one is quick then to make confession of the belief that occupies one's life. I believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. And then one's immersed in water, call it baptism for the remission of sins. It might be that someone in this assembly today has reached a point in life when you know that Jesus died for you. You know that you're lost in your current condition and you know what you need to do about it. We're here for you. We wish to help you in that act in obedience. But may I say that if you have known faithfulness to the Lord and maybe as you considered the fatherhood of God and your response to Him, maybe that kind of loveliness has slipped from your life. You've begun to live in a way that perhaps has brought shame on your father, earthly even shame on your Father heavenly. But if that be true, as long as there's breath in your lungs and cognizance in your brain, you can come back. You can make a change. You can get back on the pathway of rightness and nobility and goodness and wholesomeness and salvation. If today we could be of help to you in that regard, God commands that you make repentance, that you make confession of those errors, 1 John 1, verse 8, and we'll be delighted to pray on your behalf. If we could do that today, what a joyous day for you would be, and what a happy day for us in celebration with you as well. As we honor our fathers today, may we primarily think about the fatherhood of our Father in heaven. 
He is our Father. May we strive to love Him, obey Him, and serve Him. And if we could help you do that today in any public way, let us do it while together we stand and while we sing.